0: Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. Today's show is not a live program, it's a pre-recorded show, one from way back deep in the top secret AGCO archives. actually dug down and found a program from October 10th, 2003, almost 10 years ago. And for those who have been listening to the Automotive Hour for a long period of time, you may remember what Harvey Wilson and I used to do the show together. Well, this is an old program that Harvey and I had done way back when. I thought I'd play it for you today, and that way we can see how things were back then, see if we've gotten any better or maybe we've gotten a little worse. I sure hope not. Hey, you can always reach me by going to the website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. You just go on there and hit the contact button, send an email, even though I'm off messing around somewhere. I always check my email at least one time a day, so I will get an answer back to you within 24 hours, and I don't mind that at all. Let's listen to the show.
1: Let's do it.
2: Good morning
0: and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Harvey Wilson. Hey, if you have an automotive problem, question, or comment, you just give us a call. will be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Give you some advice as best we can. Well, what's going on, Harvey?
1: Oh, just great weather. Boy, ain't it purdy. Yes, it is. Great weather, good times. Everything's clicking along. (laughs)
0: Everything's sliding in grease grooves. Mm -hmm. Shifting on time. There you go. (laughs) To me, this is the best time of the year. If it could always be this way. Second best. Second best? Mm -hmm. What's the first best? Oh, spring. Nah, nah, fall, man. Fall better than spring. Nah. That's probably an age-old conflict there. What's better, fall or spring?
1: I guess it depends on your... Perspective. Well, perspective, but... uh...
0: And why are we talking about this on an automotive show? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> hey, 499 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, you just give us a call. And, of course, the absolute best time to call is right now because inevitably every single week at the end of the show, we got four or five people holding who just don't get their questions answered, and we hate that. But. Got to get out of here right at 11. In fact, actually about 10.58. Yep. So if you got a question, now is the time. You give us a call, we'll get you on. And, of course, if we do not get to your question.
1: You can log on to the Internet and click on Contact Us, type in a question, and
0: we will answer it. There you go. And, of course, when you do, be sure you give us all the information that you can think of, the nature of the complaint, what kind of car it is, what size motor it has. As much information as you can, because without the proper amount of information, it's really hard to try to point you in the right direction anyway. But without the right amount of information, it's near on the impossible. So right. be sure to include Pertinent all those. Pertinent
1: information. Things.
0: Pertinent information. On the car. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds
1: like a story there, buddy. No, no, no.
0: <laughs> Let's go to our phone line. We've got Shane on the line. Good morning, Shane.
1: Hey, how are
3: you doing? Doing great, morning? sir. I've got just like a general electrical question. Okay. My car. I've got sure. like a little performance car, a little Eclipse. Yes, sir. And I'm looking at adding some aftermarket like gauges and type things. To yes, that, sir. Other electrical items. Uh-huh. And I've been reading on the Internet how to basically hook those things up to like, like your factory harness. For power and everything, mm-hmm. how does that affect like the extra load on the wirings? Is that something that's safe to do, or that mess any electrical thing up, or? Uh,
0: Shane, I'm not as familiar with a Mitsubishi as I am with GM, Ford, Toyota, and Honda, okay. and the ones that I work on more. But in almost every case, you're asking for problems. Okay, there's very, very few things on a '98 model that are actually analog operated. Almost everything is digitally operated, even to the point of when you turn a switch, it no longer controls the item that you're controlling. It sends a signal to the computer, the computer evaluates whether it wants to turn that on or not. When you start changing those things, the impedance of those gauges is not going to be the same as what factory was. You're almost always going to end up with all kinds of little mystery problems. Now, if you really, really head up on getting gauges I might suggest to you to go to mechanical-type gauges, whereas an all-pressure gauge, you just run a physical copper line to the port. Something like that not only is more accurate, but it would not cause you any problems. Same thing with a temperature gauge. If you can find a place to screw into the water jacket, there are mechanical analog temperature gauges you can use, which are not only more accurate, but they don't enter into the electrical system of the car.
3: Right. Well, well, I am just was like... Considering at least for the, the back lights on the gauges, I'm not. If I'm not gonna put one or two gauges on there, at the most,
2: uh-huh. I'm not
1: gonna
3: like overload the system. But generally, plug into a power supply wire mm-hmm. just for your lights.
0: Well, uh, you better be careful there. Be careful, because like I said, we do quite a bit of electrical work at the shop, and any time a car comes in doing something really weird, the first thing we do is we go to any kind of aftermarket accessory and we start unplugging them. Mm-hmm. And about ninety percent of the time, we fix the problem right there. Okay. Just the simplest little things that you wouldn't think could ever cause a problem. Most of the lighting on the newer cars is not going to be a light at all. It's going to be an LED. A lot of them operated 5 volts, not 12 volts. So there's just all kinds of little problems. If you wanted to pick up a, I guess, relatively innocuous voltage source, you could go to the fuse box, see if there's any unused fuses there. But then again, it's not going to be controlled by the dimmer switch like you're going to want.
4: It'll always be on, right? There. Right.
0: And the only way to get around that would be to hook some kind of a relay, you know, to the switch to where when you turn the switch, it operates a relay and the relay controls the power. But I would be a little bit apprehensive about running any actual power through it. Like I said, I can't speak exactly for Mitsubishi. I'd have to look at the wiring diagram, but I know on Chrysler's, those switches are not working those lights. Mm-hmm. They're working the computer, which is working the light. Even on a Chevy pickup, mm-hmm. if you ever notice when you close the door, the light doesn't go out. It stays on for a few seconds, then it slowly dims down and goes out. Yeah. That's all a computer-controlled thing, and all that switch does sends a pulse to the computer. So it's all digital-type signals. Now, you throw an analog device in there, and you, are, you just drive things nuts. And you it know? out of whack, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate y'all sitting there. All righty. Thank you, man. Thank Bye-bye. Bye. All right, is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd certainly love to have you. Talking about, Shane, I was looking at a wiring diagram the other day, and even the button, and I'm talking about something simple, like, again, a Chevy pickup. You, Mm -hmm. You don't get too much more basic than that. But when you hit the button to turn the air conditioner on, you're not turning the compressor on. Right. You're sending a pulse to the computer, which is going to evaluate the situation. It's going to say, okay, is the engine within operating temperature? Because if it's too hot, it's not going to turn the air conditioner on. Right. And if you got the power steering all the way turned one way or the other, and the power steering pressure is high. It's not going to turn the air conditioner on. And it's going to look and see if there's enough Freon in the system. It's going to evaluate several different things before it commands that AC on. Mm-hmm. And then it grounds the relay, which turns the compressor on. So yeah, you may think you're in control. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, got a, I got a little deal we did to a Mitsubishi years ago. and
1: uh-huh. was, The electrical system was a little suspect, so mm-hmm. we wanted to add a little insurance, so we ran an extra ground wire from the starter to the battery. Uh-huh. Put it in there good and solid, mm-hmm. you know, good crimp and all that. Hit that starter and it immediately welded that converter hub, uh, the pump bush into the converter Jeez. hub. We had to remove that cable. So when you start adding stuff, you are asking for a lot of trouble. Yeah, I tell you, it is not anything like you would ever imagine it used to be. And that is one thing that when you're talking warranty, and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, on my unit, if, if it comes in with a
0: bunch of electrical additions, that voids the warranty
2: right yeah. there.
1: Yeah,
0: I know the uh, the manufacturers void warranties quite frequently for that kind of stuff. Yep. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Guy online. Good morning, Guy.
4: Good morning, sir. How you yes, doing? sir.
0: Doing great.
4: I have a 2002 Infiniti I-35. Okay. It's mostly used for highway mileage traveling, oh. but I okay. have about 43,000 miles on it. Yes, sir. And I wanted to know that the dealership, I go there to get the oil Uh changed. They've been using Quaker State. Okay. Is it too late to switch to synthetic and would it be the vehicle at this point?
0: Not too late, Guy. A couple of precautions you have to take when you do it. Although Quaker State is a decent enough oil, it's a fossil type oil, and there's going to be a lot of sludge buildup in that engine. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just inherent even if you change the oil regularly. When you go to synthetic, it is going to clean that up. Because synthetic is just much, much better, more efficient. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do on the first change, Mm -hmm. change your oil, drive it about 1,500 miles, change Mm -hmm. the filter again, add another quart of oil, and then drive it out to the remainder of the time. Because it's going to break all that sludge up. It's going to be floating around that engine, and the filter has to take it out. I've seen people actually plug a filter up. When you plug a filter up, it just starts bypassing the filter. So you don't even know what's going on but you're getting unfiltered all to the engine so that's the first thing is you need to change the filter out about halfway or less between the interval of the oil change okay Okay. second thing is sometimes going to synthetic will reveal all leaks that weren't present before it's not creating the leak it's just revealing it for instance you got a leak it's got some sludge kind of plugging it up you clean the sludge out and wham it starts leaking all it -hmm. would have started leaking all anyway it's right. just the synthetic made it a little more prevalent right then. So personally, I run synthetic in all my vehicles. Just, yeah, I, I like it what, a lot. What brand, what brand do you choose? I use full synthetic just because that's our house all. but most of them are good. They're not all the same because there's several different, there's at least two major brand or ways to manufacture synthetic oil. And in multiple different variations within that, I think that just about any of the brand names are really good. And any of them are going to be much better than the fossil oil.
4: Well, that leads me to a question that just came to mind. Okay, Let's say, well, Infinity doesn't offer synthetic oil. Okay. So who would I go to, and then if it did expose a leak, would it be covered under my warranty? Because I have a hundred thousand mile warranty on that vehicle.
0: I would think it would be covered under your warranty because an all leak, an all leak, no matter what made it show up. In fact, if that's the case, you may even be to your advantage to use that because if it, there is an all leak, you want it to show up right now while right. it's under warranty.
4: The car's got high mileage on it, a little high mileage, but it's in really pristine condition. Mm-hmm. It's used for highway driving, but mm-hmm. the car is just flawless. It's just so I don't expect an all leak. And yeah, well, sometimes
0: it does, sometimes it doesn't. It's just something I always like to warn people about. There's a couple of options. You can either ask the dealership if they can Uh supply the synthetic to you, or a Mm -hmm. lot of people that come to us that use a brand we don't supply, they bring their own oil, and I don't have a problem with that at all. We just discount the ticket by the amount of the oil.
4: What's an oil change like that run like? with an average price for a synthetic oil change?
0: It just depends how much oil you use and what that particular place Mm -hmm. charges for their oil changes. Normally, the, the labor and the filter will be exactly the same, I see. So let's just say you got a seven quart system on your Uh Infinity, six quart, whatever it is. You can figure regular oil is probably around, what, two bucks a quart? Probably. So subtract about 12 off of a regular oil change and then. Synthetic oil is probably four to five bucks a quart, so add back thirty. So probably about fifteen to eighteen dollars more than what you're paying Uh now. Okay. But you're getting double the protection and you're getting something that's much, much better for your car. Uh Now, I don't really subscribe to the extremely long intervals that some people claim you can get with synthetic. Okay. Some people say you can go, you know, thirty thousand miles, twenty thousand miles. I don't believe that. And it gets just as dirty as regular oil does but all right. I, a lot of that comes out of the marketing department they're just trying okay. to make it seem more cost effective right it's a great product i highly recommend it but i wouldn't go the extremely long intervals on it
4: okay great so if i brought my vehicle to you, you you could take care of that absolutely thank you sir Appreciate all right thank you
0: bye-bye. bye-bye let's go back to the phone line i have got howard on the line good morning howard good morning yes sir
3: couple of questions okay First one is, well, they're both the same thing. But okay. It's an O2 Pontiac okay. with a 3,800 inch. Yes, sir. Okay, the dealer had to, rep- the car owed 10,000 miles, okay? Mm-hmm. The dealer replaced the battery, of course, and had some problems. And then about a week later, the daughter took her car to have it checked for the state inspection. It failed the
0: test. Yes, sir.
3: Took it back to the dealer. They said there was nothing they could do. She just had to drive it for about, you know, 72 hours or something. Correct. And- and then it would reset itself. Relearn. Is that true? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. They can't, I mean, they don't have a program to put in there? No,
1: No, sir. No, where your programming problem is is what the state has commanded these people to plug
0: into your car and read that. Yeah, you see, the. the they don't allow for that thing. Right. The problem is with the state. It's not with the car. Okay. You've got what they call readiness tests. The
3: car had to
0: pass the emissions test. Well, that's that not what they're matter. talking about, Howard. That's where they are going state, right. State set. They are going into a directory that the computer sets up called readiness tests. Mm-hmm. What a readiness test is is that while you drive your car, the computer goes in and evaluates each system on the car, and it's going to either pass or fail this test. Now the specifics for passing a certain test are very 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 crucial it could take up to a week to 10 days to pass all these tests for instance it may say you have to drive 45 miles an hour for five minutes without touching the brakes three times in a row. Well, let me tell you, three o'clock in the afternoon, you ain't ever going to do that in Baton Rouge. Well, so you may have to drive quite a bit before you meet that parameter to pass that test. Tell
3: you what she did, she took off of Florida mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where she is today. Yeah. Based on, on
0: that. But well, yeah. but like I said, until all those tests pass, because you looked at one parameter, if you disconnect the battery, you're going to lose all the readiness tests, then they have to complete themselves and Certain things like, for instance, the EVAP test, until it gets to three-quarters of a tank of gas, it's not even going to run that test. If it gets below a quarter tank, it's not going to run that test. So if you constantly keep filling your car up, it ain't ever going to run that test. It has to start out at a certain temperature. If it's too hot, it's not going to run the test. So on and on and on and on and on it right. goes. And it's not that it's a bad system. That's how it was set up for good reasons. It's just, it's just the state's going in trying to evaluate something. And all it does, all that state thing does is give you a pass-fail. It doesn't tell you why or true, anything else. True, true. It's, just, it's just ridiculous.
3: Now, the, the other question is, mm-hmm. can't the dealer put a, like, for instance, take a simple old battery charger and connect
0: it? Well, not a battery a charger. What he should have done is hooked a jumper battery. I know yeah. at AGCO, when we changed the battery, we put a jumper battery across there, which preserves your memory. That's just a matter of procedure. It's not required. It would have it prevented this problem. We always do it because people don't like resetting all their presets on their radio and their well, seat depends. positions. Yeah, and it depends on what the problem was with your battery, too. Yeah, if your battery was think. dead when it went in, then it was no, too late.
3: You know what it was? It didn't know what happened, and it reacted in the air conditioner controls. But this battery, they put it on top of this cluster of wires. Terrible design. Mm-hmm. Where If you have a little battery leak. Now, this, again, is a favorite, you know, car not a year old. Yes, sir. It leaks, and so it messes yeah. wires up under the battery.
0: Yeah, we'll see. The, now,
3: it, probably the battery
0: went dead before he ever got the thing no, so the no, member was, was already lost. No, no, the car, and, and
3: I drove it over to the dealer and left it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it was working fine. It's just the air conditioner controls were not working and mm. understand that it, it corroded a wire. Through.
0: Yes, sir. Well, again, yeah. it may have taken a while to fix this, mm. and you couldn't have left backup power on it that long. Okay. If you had to yeah. take it out and order a wiring harness and all that, then it's just going to get lost. You well,
3: know? the clock showed about 30 minutes of out time on the clock. So Yeah. Let me ask you one other question. Well, i tell you, I got
0: to take a break. If you want to hold on through the break, sure, I'd be glad sure. to address that for you. Hang on. Take a quick little break and be right back with more.
5: Hey, Clint, what's that? Take a look. It's my bucket list of things to do before the world ends. Okay... According to the Mayan calendar, the world goes kaput on December 21st, 2012. I got lots to do, neighbor. Uh, bog
2: snorkeling? Punch a whale? Compete in the World Toe Wrestling Championship? I see Meet Julia Roberts is scratched off. Yeah, got her autograph, too. Really? Well, it's on the restraining order. Hey, shouldn't repair my car be on the list? What? Your, your brakes, they're constantly squealing, It shimmies and shakes and leaking oil. All over I the think b- I can make it to December. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. Hey, um, isn't this one here illegal? Not in Tijuana, my friend. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A G C O. A-U-T-O.com.
0: Today's show is pre-recorded and oldie but goodie from October 10th, 2003. While you can't call in, you can always reach me by going to the website. That's www.agcoauto.com. Just click on the contact button, send me an email, and I'll get an answer back to you. I really hope you enjoy today's show. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Altazan with Harvey Wilson. If you have an automotive problem, question, or comment, you just give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out. And we were talking to Howard just before the break. Howard, what was the second question? The question,
3: the ground, or negative terminal, has two wires coming off that, that post, okay. battery post. Okay. One is a small wire, and it looks like they use something like a self-tapping screw. Okay. Either the okay. right below it, and then, of course, this other large wire yes, goes sir. to another location. Probably the engine block. The part that was connected to the frame has a, apparently a lot of corrosion around it because that's where the battery acid must have been leaking. Okay. Can I take that wire off? Will it mess things up? And then I'd like to take it off, clean it, and then cover it with something like RTV because it's looking straight up at the sky, you know, and it's just going to be a pocket
0: yeah. Corrosion What does okay. that control? That does your body ground. but see that the engine of the car are not electrically connected to the body of the car. Okay. So one grounds the body, one grounds the engine. Can you mm-hmm. disconnect it? Yes, you can, so long as you do not operate any electrical thing in that car. And there's don't open the door, don't turn it turn everything off, take the keys out. Take the light take bulb Take the out light of the bulb hood. out of the hood, then you can disconnect that safely. Clean it real good, make sure the little star washer under there is is present because that little star wash is what actually digs into the body and mm-hmm. makes the contact. I would not put RTV on that because RTV is corrosive. Okay. Just clean it good. There are some sprays that you can spray on it if you're, if you're uh, concerned. There's a sort of a heavy oil-type spray that dries out. It's sort of red in color that we use on battery terminals. Mm-hmm. You can spray some of that on there, and that'll protect the elements from getting to it. But you got to be very careful. Don't put any type of corrosive on it. Mm-hmm.
3: So uh, what— just don't
0: open anything. No, don't have any electrical accessory on in the car at all.
3: What happens if that were to happen? It's
0: not going to have a ground, and what it's going to do, is going to start looking for a ground, and it's going to pull what they call a transient ground. It's going to draw a ground somewhere where it's not supposed to, which can actually damage something. You remember that converter hub, and that pump <laughs> pushing converter <laughs> hub?
1: Yeah. It won't be that bad, but it'll be some device in there.
0: Yeah. It? You see, when let's say you, you electrically disconnect the source of power it's trying to draw power depending on how many amps it can pull like for instance we get this all the time where the connection to the rigid block is is insufficient you start cranking the car well that's pulling maybe 400 amps let's say the connections only capable of carrying 300 amps an extra hundred amps has got to go somewhere so what it does it's going to start looking for a ground now the only ground would be the steering column is grounded to the body it runs down into the rack and pinion, it goes out through the tire rods, it goes through the steering knuckles, through the two drive axles back to the motor. So what it does, it fries the outer tie rods, it fries the CV joints on the car. Mm-hmm. In cars where you get problems where CV joints keep going out, tie rods keep going out, you got a bad ground somewhere. So you can cause all kinds of problems. So another way to absolutely eliminate that, Howard, is just to take a little jumper ground, hook it from the engine block, just take a piece of heavy wire... Tie it to a bolt on the engine, tighten it down, tie it to another bolt on the body, and tighten it down. And that way you provide it another ground while you repair this one. Okay. You know, that would eliminate it totally. True, true. Uh, okay. Take a jumper cable even and just okay. hook it to the battery terminal and hook it to the body. Okay. So anything that electrically connects it will eliminate that problem. You're not going to have a tremendous amount of power being drawn because at most you're going to have maybe the computer memory or clock mm-hmm. or something like that. It's not drawing like a starter would. But it's best not to interrupt grounds if you don't have to.
3: Yeah, this thing has a little light that flashes on the dash, you know, all the yeah, time. Yeah, a little there. LED. And yeah, see that's probably
0: yeah. drawing so small amount of amperage that it really a clock, wouldn't work, you know. Yeah, I would probably just connect some kind of a jumper wire. Okay. Take a piece of twelve gauge right. wire.
3: That's that's an excellent suggestion, On yeah. a second parallel ground. Yeah, exactly.
0: As long as it can get ground, and that's all it needs, and then go in, repair that one, make sure it's good and clean and making contact.
1: It wouldn't hurt to leave it, would it? Uh, we, no, no, I wouldn't leave it. I wouldn't leave it. Yeah. yeah Louis might. I wouldn't.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've never found a problem with adding additional grounds. We do that occasionally. When we've got a problem, we'll add additional grounds. you got to be careful what you're grounding to. As long as you're hooked to like the engine block and then the chassis of the car, well, you shouldn't have a good, problem.
3: There's some good bolting up there around right. the brackets that go Sure. alternators and you know those things compressors. Mm-hmm. Uh, good heavy, heavy stock. To get. Well, listen. All right. Thank you so very much. All right, I so appreciate it, and I, I apologize for taking so. Oh,
0: <coughs> not time. a problem. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd certainly love to have you. And we've got Mike's been patiently holding. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Harvey.
4: I'm yes, sir, I have a 93 Chevrolet Cavalier. Yes, sir. And when uh starts up, fire, runs fine, uh, drive it 10, 15 minutes just uh-huh. to kill. Okay. Cranks right up, drive it 10, 15 minutes to kill. Okay. And it just continually does that. Yes, sir. And I can't understand what the problem is.
0: Mike, there's so many things that can cause that problem. What I can give you is some generalities and some things you might want to check. It's almost always going to be an ignition-related problem, something that's heating up and dying. Now, when it kills, does it feel like, it, like the motor is choking down when you come to a stop? Almost like a, a standard transmission when you try to stop it without putting the clutch in? no does not feel like that okay okay because that could be something totally different i would check the crank sensor is the check engine light coming on no it's not okay check engine light never comes on never comes on well then what i would look for would be something on the car one of the sensors or one of the peripherals that the computer controls with a problem that overheats shorts out and causes the computer to shut down now If you had a scan tool, one real easy way to check for that is to go in and put a code in the computer intentionally, like disconnect the airflow meter or something while it's running, plug it back in, go drive it, let it die, come back and check and see if that code's still present. Because when the computer resets, it's going to lose all the codes that are in there. Uh-huh. And if there's no codes in there after this thing, then the computer's resetting. It's just going to be a matter of figuring out which sensor is causing that. Normally, you're going to have another problem also that's going to be a minor problem. Something like it's not idling at the right speed, or it's idling too fast, or it's idling too slow, or the temperature gauge isn't working, or it's burning more gas than normal, depending on what else that sensor controls. Okay. Okay? It's okay. going to be the only way... It's going to be very hard for you to find that yourself.
4: Yeah, okay. Uh,
0: I would probably take it to a qualified shop, keyword being qualified. Right. And be prepared to leave the car with them for a while. Maybe a couple of days. Yeah. For them to do it. But what I would start out with is to go in, introduce a code into memory intentionally drive it until it occurred, and see if that code's still present. Because if it's not, then we know the computer's resetting. Right. And on the 93s, that was a real problem. On some of the newer cars, they've changed the way the drivers work on the computer, and it will only shut down the one thing that it is controlling. But on that car, they had what they call a quad driver, which controlled four things. Each driver controlled four things. So if you got, say, an idle control motor that's drawing too much amperage, when it shuts down that driver, that driver may also control the fuel pump. Okay. So, wham, it just fuel pump okay. off, car dies. Uh, okay. As soon as you turn the key off, turn it back on, it resets. Right. Wham, it comes back up until it heats up and causes again, Say.
4: Uh, okay. All righty. Okay. I do appreciate it. Yes, sir.
0: It. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd certainly love to have you. And we've got Terry online. Good morning, Terry. Good
5: morning, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Hey, I have a question on cooling. Okay. The vehicles I have now mm-hmm. use the red or pink coolant. Yes, sir. When it comes time to change, you know, yes, in months now, I have read kind of conflicting result, information on whether I should okay. change that out into well, the old green.
0: let me give you the scoop on it, because I've done a bunch, a bunch of research on this. Definitely stay with whatever's in there. Do not change from one to the other. However, do not believe the bull about that red stuff's going to last 100,000 miles, because right. that ain't going to happen. We could probably talk for the next three hours on coolant system technology, where most of the problems coming in with the long-life coolants is that they were engineered in a perfect environment, which is an environment with no oxygen. As long as you could keep them in your cooling system and get absolutely no air introduced into that system, they would go 100,000 miles without any problem. The problem is, in real life, it is near on to impossible for that situation to exist. So they're having a lot, a lot of trouble with them. They are fine up to about 30,000 miles, like the green stuff was. At that point, go ahead and dump it out, put some fresh in there. Air gets into the system from a number of places. One of the biggest is around the cap. The cap is designed to hold pressure, but it's not designed to deal with vacuum. When the water heats up, it pressurizes and it goes to the reservoir. When it cools off, it contracts, and it draws water back in from the reservoir. It also draws air in around the cap. Now, what they've done on the real, real late model cars, if you look at like an 02 or an 03, most of them have eliminated the cap completely from the radiator. They're picking up water on the lower radiator hose. Ford's had that for a while, and they have zero problems with their cooling systems the ford 4.6 on the grand marquee and all that they've used that system for a while what it does the reservoir is actually hooked to the lower radiator hose that's where it picks this water up then it's got another hose off the top and it's a flowing system it's constantly circulating water through that reservoir it's not sitting there just idle and that seems to have eliminated a lot of the cooling system problems so it's going to be interesting to see in the future just a couple of more things terry could you hold on through the break because we yeah. got a little more to talk to you about on hang on Okay, we're going to take a quick little break and be right
2: back with more.
5: Okay, look, you've been at the Red Box for 10 minutes and you've got about 30 movies.
2: Yeah, you roll in here with that car, with the brakes screeching and the bald tires,
5: and then you ask to cut in line because you're in a hurry. Look, it is 2012, and according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends on December 21st. So, I'm trying to watch all the movies I can before then. So, no car repairs either, right?
2: Who's got time for that? Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. So no car maintenance? All movies till December 21st. Yep. I'm stocking up on all the classics too. Gone with
5: the Wind, Citizen Kane, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeak <laughs> I already the first
2: Alvin. I knew he was crazy. Yep. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit AgCOAuto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com.
0: I hope you're enjoying today's show, a special pre recorded encore presentation from way back in October 10th, 2003. Let's listen to the show. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan and Harvey Wilson with Reliable Transmissions is here as well. So if you have a transmission problem, we can certainly get that solved as well. We were talking to Terry about antifreeze just before the break. Terry, a couple of more things when you do change your coolant. One is use distilled water. Don't use city water. Okay. okay, very very common thing that people do they take a hose fill it up and run city water now well, If you think about it city water contains chlorine it contains fluoride it contains a lot of silicates Which is none of which is good for that cooling system So what you want is distilled water and you want to pre-mix it before you put it into the cooling system Another big problem is people dump in a gallon of antifreeze and they top it up with water Well that's an invitation to disaster because that water is not going to mix in that engine I don't care what people tell you it is not going to mix there is no flow in the lower part of the engine block. The Water does not flow through the engine block. The water flows through the cylinder heads. Antifreeze is a lot heavier than water. It's going to all go down to the bottom of that cylinder block, and the water is going to flow around the top. It's not going to mix. So pre-mix it 50-50 before you put it in with distilled water. Now, after you do that, you've got to bleed all the air out of the system. If you don't bleed all the air out of the system and you end up with air trapped, you can get some tremendous corrosion problems. Seeing a heater core eaten up in two weeks. So you got to be sure you get all the air out of that system. It cannot operate with air in it. And there's going to be a regular procedure for getting the air out of it. Not as simple as just filling it up and letting it bubble out. Many times there are bleeder screws around the engine block, or specified procedures for doing it. So be sure you refer to a shop manual on that. Okay. Well,
5: thank you all. All
2: righty. So yes, sir. Thank you. you. Bye, bye. Have a good day.
0: Yes, you sir. Too. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd certainly love to have you. Let's go back to the line. We've got Wayne on the line. Good morning, Wayne.
6: My neighbor has a car, and she used some of that bad gas for a couple of tanks, mm-hmm. and it began to run bad right after she used that bad gas.
0: Okay, well, you're talking about reformulated gas.
6: Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. I told her I thought she ought to at least consider getting a new fuel filter installed. It's kind of getting a little better than it was, but yeah. should she do that?
0: Certainly isn't going to hurt anything, especially if the filter hadn't been changed in a while. What we always do, Wayne, we pull the filter off, we drain it into a little sample bottle that we keep at the shop, and that way I can show you. And if it is a contaminant, you might even want to go as far as draining the tank on it. It may not be necessary, but then again, it may. We've recently acquired the stuff where we can test fuel and tell you how much ethanol is in it. The testing equipment where I actually read off and tell you what percentage of ethanol is in the fuel. But yeah, it, if it's plugging the filter, it's not going to get better. It's going to continually get worse because that, it's not, not going to come gas out of there. Is not going to clean out that filter in any way, is it? What is happening, Wayne? And I'm not a chemist and don't pretend to be. But what's happening is they're putting ethanol in the fuel. Ethanol has an affinity for moisture. So what happens is that when they dump that into a tank at the service station, you've got maybe a 50,000-gallon tank there. There's a lot of sludge and moisture in the bottom of that tank from the years. The ethanol attracts that moisture, pulls it up into the fuel. When you pump it into your tank, you're pumping in a lot of trash that wasn't in the fuel originally. Of course, your fuel pump is going to pump it into the fuel filter, which is going to plug up. That's what it's supposed to do. You know, thank God it plugs up, because if it didn't, it'd go right through the fuel injectors and plug them up. So the only thing that you would be able to do would be to come out and place the filter, examine the contents of the filter to make sure that is the problem. Now, one other problem is that it has to go through the fuel pump to get to the fuel filter, and it doesn't take very long to tear a fuel pump up. We've changed probably more fuel pumps in the last three weeks than we did in the last six months before that.
6: If it is now running fairly okay
0: but Mm -hmm. not perfect, Mm -hmm. will that fuel pump get cleaned out? It may or it may not. It's like a fine, what they call a micro screen on the bottom of the pump. It's called a a strainer. And it's designed to try to keep that out of the pump. What happens is stuff collects on it because it's sucking it in. So it just collects on it and starts to plug it up, which makes the pump work a lot harder. As the pump works harder, it actually sucks it through the screen. Then it gets in the pump and does damage. Removing the cause is going to make it better but it's not gonna undo damage that's already there. If she's got a 93 model car, it's 11 years old, the pump was probably already fairly tired. then you run some contaminants through it. Doesn't mean it's gonna stop running tomorrow. Doesn't mean it's gonna stop running at all. It just means that it's probably lessened the life of it some. See, okay. so again, the, the key here would be to go in, take the filter off, see what's in the filter. Because we may be making a tempus in a teapot. may not even be the problem at all. I mean, she gave a bad plug wire, for all we know. Mm. We're just relating it to that. Just We're speculating is what we're doing. Okay. So we need to check what's in that fuel filter. Now, the fuel filter is real contaminated. I mean, just black sludge comes out of it. Then we need to look further. If not, then we maybe need to look at another problem she may be occurring. Okay. okay? Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we've got Steve on the line. Good morning, Steve.
5: Hey, good morning, Harvey. Good, I mean, Lewis and Harvey. <laughs> yes, sir. Hi, Steve. Hey, I've got a question about, actually, I'm calling in for a friend of mine. He's thinking about buying a 24-foot travel trailer. Mm-hmm. And Harvey's he's got, cringing. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
5: uh, he's got a 2002 Nissan Frontier pickup. Uh-huh. And, um, the travel trailer weighs 4,200 pounds. And I tell him, I don't think there's enough truck there to haul that thing with it. He's going to have transmission
0: problems. And- he's going to have all kinds of problems, not just transmission.
4: Uh-huh.
1: Oh yeah. Getting it going is one thing and getting it stopped is going to be another. I know he's going to have trailer brakes and all that kind of stuff, but,
3: yeah,
1: you know, I had a, a friend that was towing a decent sized boat, not an offshore boat or anything, just a bass boat with a small S 10 type truck. And he said, he just going around the corner one day and. I don't know if he hit a bump or whatever happened, but there was not enough truck there to hold it, and him and that boat, and ended up in the ditch. Yeah, yeah. You know, he doesn't have
0: enough vehicle there.
5: Yeah, transmission wise, the Nissan. I know. (laughs)
1: You know what I'm
0: saying? I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm gonna tell you right now. See, an engineer when he designs a truck, he designs that basically for the warranty period. Yes. Let's say you got a 50,000 mile warranty. Okay, will that truck pull that trailer for 50,000 miles under ideal conditions? Yeah, probably.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, most of them pull it for that. Now, I don't think they design.
0: Right. I, they don't over-design it. For yeah, sure. it's going to definitely shorten the life of the truck drastically. Mm-hmm. Got a, a good customer that came in this week, and he's got a Chevy pickup, full-size, half-ton, with a trailer towing package, and he's towing a travel trailer. And like I said, according to everything you can read, man, it ought to do that with ease, except Mm -hmm. that 100,000 miles, the rear end was fried. The ring and pin was wore completely out. Mm -hmm. And again, you got to remember that engineer says, hey, 100,000 miles is the life of the truck. They expect you to throw it away then, which not many of us can afford to do. So will it physically pull it? Yeah, but he's going to have way, way more repair problems than he wants. He's going to start warping rotors, warping drums, trying to stop it. Like Mm -hmm. Harvey says, you're going to end up with transmission problems, probably rear end problems, and you just physically don't have enough truck there to hold the trailer down.
5: Yeah, that's what I told him. Because I tow a lot with my uh, three quarter ton pickup, right. and uh, there you go. Now, you, now you got something to tow with. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, as far as something that size, well, well, what do y'all generally recommend a size pickup to tow something like that?
0: Nothing lower than three quarter. Yeah, nothing lower than a three, and I mean a real three quarter ton. Because you got to be careful. GM sells what they call a three quarter ton, yeah, which is It's a half ton with heavier springs and a bigger radiator. Mm-hmm. You know, if it doesn't mm-hmm. have eight lug wheels on it, it's not a three quarter ton. Yes. Yeah. You know, with those big hubs in the back, that's a three-quarter ton.
2: hmm
0: But three-quarter ton, basically, we use a one-and-a-half ton rear end. And, you know, they're just a much heavier vehicle. I know they only rated a quarter ton more as far as numbers, but they are a much heavier vehicle. hmm start getting much heavier, you really need a one-ton, you know, something with dual wheels on the back.
5: Yes. Now, sometimes my friend can be stubborn, and he's talking about putting an oil cooler on that transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm recording this so he can listen to what y'all say. (laughs) There
1: you go. Okay. (laughs) We're recording it, too, so if he says we said something. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If he's going to put a cooler on there... He needs to put the plate style on, and he may already have one on that vehicle. He, he needs to look, but he needs to put the plate style on. That's more Warner makes that. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be mounted with metal brackets and not those plastic things that run through the radiator. The con- yeah, you don't want it air flat up against the radiator. And yeah, that. And you notice the spacing he has between the radiator and the air conditioning condenser. He needs that spacing between that air conditioning condenser and that cooler.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And it needs to be unrestricted. Uh, don't put it behind a bumper. Put it up. And that's going to maybe buy him a little bit of time at best. Yeah, and then I would go, I still wouldn't recommend doing anything, but if you have a vehicle you want to do that with, another cooler is fine. Uh, Synthetic fluid is, is better for that, too. Yeah, well...
5: When he burns the transmission out, what was he looking at to repair a transmission like that?
1: On a uh, 2000 Frontier? 2002 uh, Nissan Frontier. Yeah. I would think at least two and probably closer to three or $3,500. Yeah, that's, okay. And, bunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
5: yeah, exactly. And, exactly. you know,
1: depending on how much much melts down in there, it may be cheaper to buy a new one from Nissan. What are they, four or $5,000? Yeah. Yeah.
5: Okay, well... This will get him steered in the right direction anyway. So. <laughs> all righty.
0: Okay, well, thank you. Thanks all. for calling. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd certainly love to have you. And we've got Walt's been patiently holding. Good morning, Walt. Good morning, Lewis. I'd like to uh, have a question for Harvey. Sure. Okay. Harvey, on a
6: 2002 Cadillac DeVille, mm-hmm. it was sitting in a grassy, grassy area, in park, engine turned off, and it got hit in the rear. It probably slid 20 or 30 feet. I say slid. There were no signs that the front wheels had skidded in the grass. It looked like they rolled. I am curious about what to look for or what it might have done to that transmission.
1: You said it was in park
6: and it rolled? It was rolled? in park, and I went down, I even took pictures of the grass here. It did not appear that it skidded. The front wheel skidded, and the car went about 20 or 30 feet.
1: Yeah. Well, and
6: uh, I know the old-fashioned transmission where you had that little dog and you shear them off. You the same off. thing. It is?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got a ball in there.
6: Now, I pulled the car out in the street, for the wrecker, and put it in park, and it seemed to engage.
1: Okay, well, go all the way around. Well, if it rolled 20 or 30 feet, it went all the way around by itself, so I don't know what to think about that. No. It, it does not make sense to me that it... There was no skid marks and it was in park.
6: Right. You know, right, without
1: that, breaking something. Something uh, would have to either broke or it couldn't have been in park. There.
6: Okay. Well, when it gets out of the body shop, it's going to be taken to a transmission shop and have them check it. Yeah. But I've. I okay, if, it, was, if
0: it physically did that, it wouldn't have park any longer because it would have broke that pole or something. Right.
6: That's why I couldn't figure out this. Mm-hmm. Like I said, when I started up it up to put it in the street for the
0: record. Mm hmm. It uh, it was in park. Everything was well fine. No, it,
6: and then when I put it
0: It in the could have maybe broke a piece of the pawl off, and it still got enough on there to maybe hold it. Oh okay. You well, know, I don't I don't even know about that. But you know what? Maybe could have happened. They
1: obviously hit it pretty hard. I they mean, did. They it My I mean, gear. when it was stopped, and in, in the amount of acceleration, you know, like zero to sixty in two seconds or <laughs> something. Right. Right. <laughs> Whatever it was, if the parking pawl was on the top of one of those right lugs. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They have to be going slow. The car has to be going slow enough for to, them to engage inside the teeth. The parking ball okay. will go inside the teeth. Mm-hmm. So I guess if it was going fast enough right off the bat, it could ratchet over the top of those. Okay. Now, if it doesn't, that, you know, when you're driving down the road and you do that, that really sounds bad. But it rarely does... Anything bad, unless you continually do it. Well,
6: I haven't driven the car since I pulled it out in the street. For the record, I put it in park. And it seemed to uh, it went in just like it always did.
1: Yeah. But, what uh, you want to do is put it in park and let it hold, then put it in reverse and right. back in park after a couple of inches, and you know, just try and go around the whole whole gear. You know, back it up fifteen twenty feet, put it in park a lot, and make sure it's holding in every spot.
6: Okay. All
0: Listen. Right. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye right. bye. All right, quick little break, and we'll be right back with more.
5: Clint, what's with the huge crate? My 120-inch Platinum 3D TV. Splurging, huh? putting it all on the credit card, and since the Mayan calendar
2: predicts the world ending December 21st, I'll never have to pay it back. That would explain the giraffe and elephant in your backyard. Have you thought about fixing your car, buddy? Your old one is in pretty bad shape. Leaking oil, screeching brakes. My uh... car can make it to December. Plus, I need money to complete my set of life-size Star Wars
5: action figures.
2: Yoda is an expensive one, he is. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. You know, if your car won't run, you can always ride your elephant. Great idea. Let me Google elephant license. Uh, okay, you know I was joking, right? Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A G C O A U T O.com. Today's show is a special encore
0: presentation of a show originally broadcast way back in October 10th, 2003. I hope you really enjoy it. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Altazan with Harvey Wilson. Hey, we got a few minutes left, so we're going to try to get to all our phone callers here as we can. First, we got John. Good morning, John.
5: Hey, how are you guys? Doing great, sir. I've got a quick question about um, I have a 1999 Ford F150, yes, and the air temperature dial that you can, you know, turn it uh, to the right or clockwise to heat the air temperature, or okay. turn it back. Yes, sir. There's no resistance there, and like if I'm on a cold mor- or a cool morning, I don't get any heat. The air temperature doesn't heat up. Okay. And there, but the, you know, it seems like it's a lot. It's really um, a lot of free play there now, like and before. There was a little bit of resistance.
0: Yes, sir. John, I would have to look at it to see how that's controlled. There's three ways they control that. Basically what you're doing when you turn a knob is you're opening and closing a blend door. The blend door is a little door between the heater core and the evaporator core. And by raising and lowering, it can either duck hot air or cold air. Mm-hmm. And it can do anything in between. The- one method they've got is a little cable that just runs over there. That was real common many years ago. Then they kind of got away from it. Then they went to a vacuum control, where you're turning a little thing that ducks vacuum to a little dash pot that pulls it open. In recent years, most of them are electrically controlled, and what you're turning is a little rheostat, and it's working a stepper motor, which is actually controlling it. So you're going to have to see which you have. From the symptoms you got, it almost sounds like it's a cable-driven, and the cable is either broken or come loose, or the clips come off the end of it. Or, you know, maybe the shaft on the blend door has broken free from the door or something along those lines. There is one other possibility. Look under the hood and see if there is a shutoff valve to the heater. A lot of vehicles have that as well. And what it is, is just a little vacuum control valve that physically closes the hose so that the heat can't get to the heater core. They use those because all those doors leak a certain degree and they diminish the effectiveness of the air conditioning. So what they do is they put a shut off valve in addition to the blend door. When it's turned to cold, it just shuts water off to the heater core. Now, if that sticks in position or the vacuum hose comes off or something like that, you can open and close the blend door, but you have no heat source available. Gotcha. And that should be pretty easy to find. Just trace the heater hoses from the engine to the firewall. And if there's any kind of little black plastic gizmo with a vacuum line on it, touch the line in front of it, see if it's hot. Touch the lines behind it and see if they're cool. Okay. And then work the controller and see if it opens and closes. Uh, I'm not sure, without looking at a manual, whether that truck has that or not, but a lot of them do. I know like the Suburbans and all have that little setup. And if it goes bad, it'll just block the water flow off to the door. So even though it's opening, it's still not going to have a heat source.
5: Okay. Right. Uh, how you, you guys can do it at your shop? Yes,
0: sir. We can do any of that. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. Hi, four nine 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 five two six is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd certainly love to have you. And we've got Shelton on the line. Good morning, Shelton.
5: Good morning, guys. Yes, sir. Morning. Ninety nine uh, half ton Chevy pickup, extended cab, mm-hmm. five point seven. I think it's called CPI. Okay. Uh, truck. I want to use the term runs on. If I'm on the interstate and get off at an exit, my RPMs don't drop down fast enough. I have to actually apply a hard brake to get the engine to drop back down.
0: Okay.
5: I'm in a parking lot, even crank it up, and mm-hmm. it's it's almost like the choke stuff, yeah. know, which we don't have. Right. It'll get, jump up to 1,400 RPMs and stay there until yes, I apply sir. a brake.
0: Yeah. Shelton, there's many, many, many things that'll cause fast idle. We could probably talk for the next two hours about it. <laughs> One of the most common is a vacuum leak anywhere in the system. Okay. Uh, any kind of vacuum leak is going to cause the engine to idle up because you got unmetered air entering the engine. And the O2 sensor is going to see it getting lean, so it's going to give it more gas, which is going to idle it up. Another thing would be the idle control motor sticking. The idle control motor is a little part that actually idles it. It's a little dual wound servo. One set of windings opens, and another set of windings closes it. If the second set of windings burn out, it'll it'll idle up, but it won't idle back down. Another I
5: pull that I pulled Excuse me, I pull that mm-hmm. and found it uh, pretty well carboned up.
0: Okay, and they do uh, wiped get that it way. Down
5: and uh, put it back it seems to help for maybe a mile or two and yeah it goes right back well
0: through. shelton if you can do that yourself you might just want to go ahead and replace that little motor because it's not that expensive especially if you can do it yourself because that is a very common problem you know they'll carbon up and they'll just won't respond fast enough so that would be something you could do yourself but check for a vacuum leak also check make sure the engine is running at full temperature because if the temperature of the engine is not high enough it also won't idle down and i apologize we're just completely out of time Appreciate everybody listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.